Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. I had an uncle who really respected my intelligence from as early as I can remember. I would be at family gatherings, and we'd all have said hello, you know, exchanged hugs, whatever. My uncle always came late, and whenever he came, he made a beeline straight for me. I don't really know why, but it was always pretty fun. Instead of him saying, hello, Ben, how have the last three months been? He'd essentially just come right up to me and tell me why my faith is total bunk. And then he'd tell me something he saw on the Discovery Channel or, you know, National Geographic or something like that. But the rest of the family was really annoyed by this. We would kind of have this playful back and forth, and I always really liked it. But my family, they were driven nuts. And at times, we would go the entire family gathering. We wouldn't really interact with anyone else. It would just be us. And only some of the times would my aunt or my mother come in and intervene and be like, you have to join the rest of the family. Stephen, you've got to lay off this kid. But there was one time where he came up to me. He was talking with me. We were going back and forth, and I realized it was getting pretty heated. My uncle was getting angry, and I could tell it wasn't really anger directed toward me, but it felt like it was anger directed toward me. And I'm stubborn, and I'm not going to back down. And if I think you have ridiculous arguments, I'm going to tell you they're ridiculous. Uh, So we essentially go the entire night. And at one point, he's yelling. It's getting really loud. It's not just an annoyance to the family. It is an interruption. It is kind of oppressive. And instead of being smart and letting it go, I just had to keep going. The rest of the family leaves. It's him, me, and my mother. And at some point, he's kind of spent. And I guess I'm spent too. And I remember we stopped talking, and my mother speaks. And my mother says, Stephen, don't you see how much you want this to be true? And she was bold. She went so far as to say, don't you see how much you want Jesus? My uncle and I had missed what was right in front of us. I remember it was one of those moments where, if you remember that old show, Touched by an Angel, it was as if my mother in that brief second had this light at the back of her head. It was as if those words were not her words. She had seen straight to the heart of the matter, and she spoke into it. And my uncle and I, who think we're really smart, who think we're all-knowing sometimes, we had missed what was right in front of us. Now, when I read this gospel lesson for the first time this week, I was reminded of this story. The reason why I was reminded of this encounter was at the very beginning of this lesson, we see these really smart people, these religious leaders, miss what is right 
in front of them. The text says that they went and they went to go see John the Baptist, and they went to see Jesus of Nazareth, and they went to see about their messianic potential. Could these two people, could one of them, could both of them, be the folks we're waiting to liberate us? They go to John in the wilderness. He's neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he's got a demon. They go to Jesus at the party. They see him eating and drinking, and they say he's a glutton and a drunkard. These folks are so smart, and they have all the right excuses. They can't make up their minds. Demon, drunkard, ascetic, party guy. No matter what, we just can't see it, and it's right in front of them. This reminds me of a conversation I had with a friend of mine who is in a top-tier Ph.D. program, who's now a professor at a top-tier Ph.D. program. And he, I was having this talk with him, and he kind of lives the life that I kind of wish I could live, or at least for a time wished I could live. And I was essentially a fanboy. What's it like? What are your professors like? What are you learning? How smart are these people really? And I'll never forget uh, this friend of mine who is super bright, after saying a few words, looked at me and said, Ben, the thing I do is I pray every single day that the Lord will keep me intellectually flexible. Because while my professors, while these brilliant people are so very smart, I've noticed that they're closed off to anything that doesn't fit within their system. I found this incredibly interesting. He said he reads these journals, these articles, that are essentially these back and forth between professors, and they're not really listening to each other. They're kind of sort of addressing the other's concerns. But really what's going on is this defensive posture of their own turf. No small irony here. The people who have made learning their profession aren't open to learning. As Bono once said, sorry, every preacher's got to quote you two on occasion, but one of his lesser-known songs, he sings, how can you stand next to the truth and not see it? And I think we get a glimpse at why this is true, not just for my uncle, whom I love, who I asked to tell the story about, <laughs> not just the professors, my friend's professors, but I think this is oftentimes true for you and for me. The scales on our eyes are very real. We can't hear anything that we don't like or that doesn't fit in our paradigm. And the reason for this, I think, is so well said by St. Paul in his seventh chapter in his letter to the Romans. For the good I want to do, I do not do it. The good that I will to do, I do not do it. In fact, I do its opposite. 
I don't know about you, but there is no passage of Scripture that I resonate more with than that one. I'm not saying it's my favorite text. In fact, this is tragic news, right? Ideally, you and I would be open to whatever was put before us. We would be open in such a way that if we were wrong, we could admit to it. But what St. Paul seems to be saying is that there are times when we can't even see that we're wrong. We can't even see that thing that is right in front of us. We're so locked in. It's as if we're enslaved by, as Paul calls it, this power called sin, capital S, sin. And I've seen over the years that this is true of me as well. And I've also noticed that a lot of the times I use my smarts or what I think I know. I'm not really that smart. As this kind of shield against anything that would bother, against anything that doesn't fit in this system that I've spent so much time constructing that I cannot bear to have a kink in. For the good I would do I do not do. So what hope is there then for people like my uncle? Sorry, uncle. What hope is there for my friend's professors? What hope is there for you and me that we do not even realize that we're doing this? If there's anything that Sigmund Freud has taught us, it is that so much of this is not even conscious. It's subconscious. So if we don't have the power to simply change our minds, to turn from one direction to the other, what hope is there? And St. Paul says it very clearly at the end of this passage, wretched man whom I am. Who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. The truth itself, the truth that was right in front of the religious leaders, the truth that stands right in front of you and me, is the one who can descale our eyes, who can break down our stone-called hearts. And that is why you and I pray here today and every day, Lord Jesus, send down your refining fire. We need his refining fire because as St. Paul makes clear, we can't do this on our own. As my friend said, his professors, they're so closed off, it is as if nothing can break through. And I don't know what it is for you. I'm not even sure I know what it is for me. But I know that my defenses, my fortifications are very strong. And I don't even know what they are. So, Lord Jesus Christ, break through Bring down that refining fire that gives us hearts of flesh, that make our eyes see 
and maybe see what has been in front of us this whole time. Capital T Truth itself. Jesus Christ, the righteous, who promises that he reveals himself in the word read, in the word spoken, in the body and blood of himself. I long for the body and blood, for the bread and wine. But friends, those of you who are like me, who are thirsting for it, know this. Jesus Christ is fully present in his word as well. And through this word, through the imperfections of my words, through the word of God, through Jesus Christ himself, these scales can come off. These walls can come down. These hearts can be made hearts of flesh. So my friends... The truth is right in front of us. Please, Lord, break down our defenses. Please, friends, receive this word, for it is a living word. It is a word of health. It is a word of life. Thanks be to God. Amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.